Jesus is the deliverer. The scripture says, Acts 10, verse 38, it says, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. My guest today, Stephen Beauchamp, he's written a book called Power to Deliver. He's been involved in deliverance ministry and prophetic ministry for 20 years or so. And I am excited to talk to him about this rising, uh, this subject that is so rising in the church right now. It seems like an interest in deliverance is everywhere. There's all kinds of thoughts on the matter. But to hear from someone who's been involved in this ministry for such a long time, I think it will help clear up some things that I have uh, I've actually seen to be dangerous. And uh, Stephen has such a tender heart and he'll be able to bring correction or even education and edification on this subject in a way that I know you don't want to miss. So Stephen, thanks for coming on. Oh man, thank you so much for having me. That's uh, our delight. You know, in your book, you say this, uh, this quote here, you say, a stronghold, now this, this term is thrown around a lot, but you define it here, a stronghold exists when a demonic spirit has the ability to consistently speak a lie and provoke a negative or sinful behavioral response in us. It, it sounds like what you're saying in this quote, and correct me if I'm wrong and expound on it if you could, that strongholds and lies are deeply connected to how we act. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. And this is a subject that I'm so passionate about. And as you said, right now, there's so much deliverance ministry and spiritual warfare uh, coming to the forefront. And I have a passion to make sure that that we really dig into the Word of God and marry the, the Word of God with the Spirit of God. And uh, you know my history of being Southern Pentecostal charismatic and going to the Brownsville Revival and and learning so much about the supernatural, but there was some behavior that I sort of took along with me. And uh, when I moved to Kansas City in 2003, I came under the leadership of Mike Bickle. And so Mike really had more of a John Wimber style. Uh, there was no hype, there was no sensationalism. And for 17 years, I just sat under Mike and I just detoxed out of a lot of negative behavior that I had learned. Now, I am so thankful for those years in the Southern charismatic community because they have faith and they contend for power and they allow the Holy Spirit to move. But uh, what I started to see is when I got out of that environment is that there is a more excellent way of humility and uh, there is a more clear way and approach to doing things because I don't know if you were there when David Hogan came to BRSM and he preached about going into regions and taking over powers and principalities and confronting these things. And I had that mentality, you know, I went to Paris, France and literally anointed the entire city with oil, trying to pull down powers and principalities. And uh, I learned a, a valuable lesson when I did that. Um, I actually almost died. I got really sick. And so it was, a, it was about that point where I started praying, saying, Lord, there's got to be a better way. 
And as I sat in the prayer room in Kansas City, I started uh, deeply meditating on the word, specifically around the subject of spiritual warfare. And I say all that to set the stage because I believe one of the most misinterpreted passages of Scripture is that 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3, 4, and 5. Let me go ahead and read that so we can sure. just uh, comb through it together, because this is the passage that deals specifically with what we call strongholds. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 3. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. So right here, Paul is using battle analogy and using the analogies of the way they would uh, go into battle in his day and time. Now, back then, they would attack fortresses. They would go to the stronghold and attempt to climb over the walls and, and capture the city or, or capture and plunder the city. And so he's using that type of language. So we can't interpret these fortresses that he's talking about as literal. He's, he's using them in a metaphorical way. And he goes on to say, verse five, we are destroying speculation. So in verse four, he says, we are destroying fortresses or, or our, our weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful for destruction of fortresses. But in verse five, he tells us exactly what those fortresses he is alluding to are. He says, we're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedient Christ. So he's still using that language of taking thoughts captive in the same way that a, an army would take uh, things plunder and plunder things as they capture a city. So he's using this parallel analogy between how we would go into battle concerning how we would approach our thought life. And specifically as how the apostles would proclaim the truth of the knowledge of God and would take thoughts captive that are raised up against the truth of who God is. Now, this is revolutionary because it, when people use the verse uh, taking thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ, most of the times we have applied that to ourselves. I take my thoughts captive. But Paul's using it as a reference to what the apostles did when they would go into a city and proclaim the truth of who God is to the people in the same way that a battle in battle, the army would go in and just take over a city. They are proclaiming the truth of the of the knowledge of God, who God really is, and it confronts the lies or the strongholds that have been built in the minds of the people concerning who God is. And that's so important for us today to understand that the warfare isn't about these second heaven strongholds or fortresses that have been built that we need to go and shout at and pull down. That's not the proper interpretation of that scripture. It's about preaching the gospel. It's about declaring the knowledge of who God is. And when we do that, we take people's thoughts captive into the truth. And I've always said that deliverance isn't a power encounter. It's a truth encounter. And as we proclaim truth, it exposes these lies and that's how we tear down those lies. Now, now the what, what you quoted from my book, mm -hmm. uh, basically a spirit can mm -hmm. speak a lie to someone's yep. mind. And okay. then in their mind, 
they are affected emotionally and then they engage their will to choose to cope with the pain of the lie. And so if a spirit can speak the same lie to someone consistently to produce the same emotional response to create the same behavior, then that is a stronghold. For instance, if, some, if the enemy keeps saying you're ugly, you're never going to prophesy, you're never going to have enough money, you're never going to have children, you're never going to be that missionary or that messenger, or you're never going to uh, be married or have kids or whatever the lie may be, if you believe that lie, then you get sad, you get depressed, you get angry, and then you choose to go and cope with the pain of that lie. You go eat a bucket of ice cream, or you go and you, and you look at that pornography, or you go and you take that drug, or you go and you call that relationship you know you shouldn't be in, in order to cope with the pain, the emotional pain of the lie that you're believing. Wow. So the stronghold exists when a demonic spirit has the ability to consistently speak a lie and provoke a negative or sinful behavioral response in us. That's so powerful. Another thing you say in here, which goes right in line with what you've been describing from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, is our thoughts concerning who God is and what he is like are the initial targets for most demonic assignments. Talk to me a little bit about this. Yeah, we see this from the very beginning with Adam and Eve. Uh, we see the Satan or the Satan, the accuser, come on the scene and get Eve to question God's goodness. Um, and, and in response to that, she falls into the deception. Well, that is the initial target, I believe, of all satanic attack. First would be to get you to question God's goodness. Hmm. For instance, have you ever felt like God was withholding from you? And most people would say, yeah, sometimes I do feel like God is avoiding me or, or rejecting me or withholding something from me. It's the same lie that the enemy used from the very beginning, because if he can get you to question God's goodness, then he's, you're not going to believe what he says about you. And if you don't believe what he says about you, then you're not going to be able to love yourself. And if you don't love yourself, then you're not going to be able to properly love others. So this is the way the enemy keeps us from fulfilling the two greatest commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so it's initial assault upon who God is, and then it's an attack upon your identity. And we see this with Jesus in the wilderness, how the enemy targeted his identity, which I believe is so crucial and in my book, I write about the three eternal identities of a believer. You are a son and a daughter, mm -hmm. which means you have dominion restored back to you. We are the bride of Christ, which means we have access to his affections and his emotions. And, you know, Eric, what I did in Kansas City for years is I meditated for long hours upon the affections and the emotions of God and falling in love with him as his bride and letting <sighs> wash over us with the water of his word, the way he feels about us, because Praise that God. is that initial assignment of the enemy is to get us uh, thinking he's not good. He doesn't love us. He's not ravished over us when we turn our hearts to him. And so we must wage war on those particular things in our hearts so that we will believe uh, that God is good, even in the midst when everything around us is looking uh, so bad. 
And then the third eternal identity is you are a priest before God. Now, this is something that is probably the most neglected identity in the body of Christ, because this speaks of our function. And today I see so many uh, preachers and teachers just grasping for their identity in a title and being called an intercessor or an evangelist or an apostle or a prophet. And really, when you understand the priesthood, when you dive into what God intended his people to be from the beginning, which was those who are called to minister to him first and foremost, and in the new covenant, now all believers are part of this royal priesthood, which means you have access to God at any point in time. It doesn't matter if you're in the marketplace or if you're preaching to people in a full-time way, we are all a kingdom a kingdom of priests, and our assignment on the earth is actually going to carry over into the age to come that we will rule and reign with Christ forever as a kingdom of priests. And I believe God is waking people up to this priestly reality of having access into his presence. And see, this goes back to the warfare element because God made a way for his people to come into his presence to encounter who he is. And it was the priest who would get the knowledge of God and come out of that place of encounter and begin to reveal God to the people and teach the people the difference between the holy and the unclean. And so when that priestly identity is neglected or shut down, we don't have confidence like Hebrews 10, 19 tells us to come in boldly to the throne of grace and receive revelation of who God is and then take that revelation out to the people. And I believe that's what's lacking in our pulpits today is we've become very busy with doing the stuff, but we have not sat at his feet. We've not gone into the holy place. We've not gotten that impartation of heaven and the true knowledge of God through the spirit of wisdom and revelation that when we come out of that place of encounter, we can do like the apostles did is proclaim the truth of who he is and take thoughts captive to that truth. Praise God. So would you say that this is an accurate statement that to remind ourselves of the gospel would be doing what Paul was doing in a city in our own hearts? Like if he comes into a city, proclaims the gospel to take captive the thoughts and show forth who God is. When we look into the scriptures and see the gospel itself, it does the same thing in our own hearts. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the word of God, you know, your, your soul is like a garden. And, and so there's seed constantly being sown in the garden of your soul. And so there are thoughts about God that come to your mind that you meditate on and you water that seed. Mm-hmm. And that can either be bad seed from the enemy. It's really Mark chapter four. It's the parable of the sower <laughs> and the seed. It's when the seed is sown into the garden of your soul. What are you watering? Are you watering the accusation or are you watering the truth of God's word? And see, deliverance ministry is really simple agriculture. Uh, You can see the fruit on the tree and then you trace the fruit back to the root and then you see where this what the seed, the lie was that was sown into the garden of your soul in order to pull up pluck it up and then plant the good seed of the word of God like you're talking about the truth of the gospel and then we meditate we chew yeah. on we we go deep into that knowledge so that it becomes an experiential knowledge mm-hmm. and our root system becomes deeper and then we begin to bear the good fruit of the kingdom and the holy spirit 
That is so powerful. You, you also write in here another incredible statement. When we pray concerning demonic principalities, we should address God and ask him to move on our behalf and push back the darkness. It seems like you're encouraging people to be God-centered more than even attack-centered. Yes, and this is going to get a little controversial, but the reason I can speak on this uh, so confidently and confidently is because I made so many mistakes. Uh, as a young, fiery evangelist, I wanted to take back the kingdom uh, for God and push back darkness. And, you know, I, I was under that mentality of binding demons and binding principalities and confronting second heaven demons. But then I, I started to find in the scripture uh, that there really isn't any prayers from Jesus or the apostles doing that. And I thought, if they're the example, if Jesus and the apostles are the example, then, then are we operating in error? And then I started to study uh, just who Satan is. And I believe our demonology has gotten off. And there's a lot of hype and sensationalism. And you can hear it in a lot of the preaching where they're belittling the devil. Now, let me say there is no competition between God or Jesus and the devil. It's not a competition. And, and that Jesus is all supreme. All things were created by him, through him, and for him. So there's no real war here. But there was something in the mind or psyche of this being of Satan that thought he could win. Now, that alone causes me to wonder just how sophisticated is this being. And then we see him deceiving Adam and Eve in the garden when they were operating at 100% brain capacity and in the fullness of glory. And I started to see this, uh, this common thread throughout scripture of what Satan actually could and couldn't do. And you see him rise up against David and cause him to do a census with the people. And then you see him leading Jesus throughout the wilderness. I mean, think about that for a moment. Satan led Jesus. And some even believe that he brought Jesus into a demonic trance and showed him the kingdoms of the world. Jesus called him the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this world. And then Paul, the apostle, longed to go into Thessalonica, but he said he couldn't because Satan resisted him. Now, hmm. compare that to our theology today in spiritual warfare, where we're saying you just need to bind the devil. Uh, why didn't Paul bind the devil? Why didn't Jesus bind the devil? And so we even see Satan being released after the thousand year millennial reign, if you believe in a literal thousand years. And he even then is going to be able to deceive people who have walked and seen the risen Savior ruling and reigning mm -hmm. on the earth. And so I wow. think a proper understanding of who we're dealing with would really dial down some of the hype that we see uh, going on. And I also believe it will lessen the mental illness taking place uh, in the camps of intercessors. I've gone and traveled all over the world. And whenever they're operating in this imaginary way that they're identifying principalities over regions and pulling them down and binding them and sending them to places, and only the apostle can have the authority to confront that spirit in a region and we just don't find any of that biblically. And if we have time, I want to just quickly mention three passages of scripture that I believe are, are important. 
The first one is Matthew 12, 29. It's the passage that talks about Jesus saying, you must first bind the strong man. Now, Jesus comes out of the wilderness and he's moving in incredible power. He's casting out demons with such a force that the people of the region are saying he's crazy. And the Pharisees and scribes are saying that he is the prince of demons. That's how much authority Jesus is operating in. And Jesus says, wait a minute, a kingdom divided cannot stand. Um, you know, I cannot plunder this house unless I have first bound the strong man. So the context is that Jesus has already bound the strong man. It's not some present day application that we have to apply to our lives. It's an analogy of a man guarding a home that Jesus is now bound and rendered powerless. And you say, well, how did he bind the devil? Well, it says in John chapter 14, verse 30, Jesus says, the ruler of this world comes, but he has no place in me. And so when Jesus is in the wilderness, Satan tried everything, the powers of hell in the strongest force you could imagine, tried to get him to disqualify himself and cause doubt in his identity. But he had nothing within him that that Satan could control or manipulate. Couldn't get it. That's how we bind the devil. It's not about releasing angels with chains and cords to wrap around demons and send them to the pit of hell. None of that is scriptural. The way we bind the devil is to live wholly before the Lord and to trust in his faithfulness. And we all know Jude chapter one, verse nine, that says even Michael, the archangel did not bring a railing judgment against the devil, but said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Another passage, Matthew 16, uh, verses um, 19, I believe it is. It talks about Jesus giving Peter the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, loosed on earth, loosed in heaven. That has nothing to do with binding disembodied spirits. This is a, a release of governmental authority upon the church of Jesus Christ to have the judicial backing of heaven to say when you release judgments in the church, you have the agreement of heaven. And we see that because that same passage is quoted in Matthew 18, 18, where it says, whoever is unwilling to forgive, then you can bind and execute church discipline over that individual. So the binding and loosing is all about the apostolic authority to govern the earth, way more than having anything to do with binding spirits that are outside of a body. So incredible. So summarizing everything, it seems like this verse would really summarize what we're talking about. The Lord's bondservant must be not quarrelsome, but be kind and able to teach. So we have teaching patient when wronged with gentleness, correcting. So you have teaching and you have correcting who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been held captive to do his will. It seems like Paul, he's showing us that teaching and correction of the word of God and bringing people into the knowledge of the truth delivers men from the snare of the devil. It seems like this, that's a good way to kind of encapsulate what you're saying. The knowledge of our God in Christ Jesus lifted high above all other things. That is the great gospel. And that is our delivering power. Correct. 
Yes, that is awesome. That's a beautiful verse. And it goes on exactly with what we're saying. And I just want to say uh, to the, the point that you brought up from my book is that if we pray to God, I still believe that we should go and gather together and say, Father, in the name of Jesus, yeah. break the powers of darkness over this region, send revival. But the dialogue is between me and the Father. Mm. It's not me stepping out of that to confront things in some rogue way that uh, puffs me up as if I have all this authority. You know, I believe that the, the key in all of this is we need to get back to the word of God and we need to submit to the authority of the word of God. And that regardless of what our imagination or our so-called apost apostolic teachers have taught us concerning new revelation, we need to submit to the authority of scripture. And over the years, I started learning the apostolic prayers. I started learning the Lord's prayer and really starting to see that their dialogue was much more about God releasing revelation in the land and mm -hmm. them getting revelation and proclaiming the truth that you're talking about. And that's how we truly dislodge those powers is to start a church, man, preach the gospel and start a bunch of people loving Jesus and worshiping Jesus and save sinners. Yes. Underneath the scriptures. All right. Let's end with this. Let's say there's a person watching right now and they hear what you're saying and your definition of a stronghold is something that is defining the way they're living they're living in a stronghold they feel like their thoughts of god have been attacked and it's affected the way they're living how would you actually just pray for that person how you would yeah well first we need to uh break agreement because in deliverance ministry agreement is so crucial uh, to the extent that you're in agreement with the enemy's lies, then he will have a place in your life. Ephesians 4.27 says, do not give place to the devil. And so first you want to break that agreement and say, Lord, I break all agreement with any lie of any unclean spirit in the name of Jesus. Lord, I forgive anyone who has wronged me or hurt me. Father, I release them unto you emotionally. And Lord, I repent of all my sin. Lord, I repent and turn back to you and your holiness because you are holy. And God, I want to follow you in holiness. So, Lord, I come under the truth of your word. I come under obedience to your lordship that we would submit ourselves unto the Lord and resist the devil and he will flee right now. So, Father, in Jesus name, I pray for anyone who is under the oppression or the torment of the enemy and they are your children. I pray that you would drive out the darkness from their mind drive out the darkness from their hearts, heal their emotions, and release your anointing upon their spirit and the revelation of your goodness and who you've called them to be and who they are in you, that they may go and fulfill the fullness of their destiny and calling without fear. I take authority right now in agreement with you over the spirit of fear we command fear to go in Jesus' name. Lord, you've not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And we will be more than conquerors because greater is he who is in you and in us than he that is in the world. In Jesus' name, Father, release your fire upon your sons and daughters in the spirit of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So Jesus is still walking around doing good healing all who are oppressed of the devil.
for God is with him. Praise <laughs> God. Well, thanks so much. How can they get your book? Uh, they can get it on Amazon. Uh, I have both the book and I have a ministry manual, which is a step-by-step manual on how to do personal deliverance ministry and how to build personal deliverance ministry teams. And so you can find both of those at Amazon. And uh, I would uh, love your feedback. Yeah, power to deliver, right? Power to deliver. Fantastic. Stephen, thanks so much for coming on, man. Blessings Thank on you. you. I love you, buddy.